Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sherry, you're not the only one who doesn't like to talk about intimacy in an alcoholic relationship or after an alcoholic relationship. We have tried and tried and tried to get experts to come on this podcast to talk about this with us, and I just keep hitting brick walls. It's interesting because we can get experts to come on and talk about uh, addiction issues that are unrelated to intimacy or sex. We've had therapists on, we've had people with doctorate degrees, we've had people with master's degrees on. That doesn't seem to be a problem, but it's something about the intersect. And and there are lots of people out there that are talking about sex and relationship stuff. We've asked sex and relationship stuff to come on, people to come on, but there's something about the intersection between sex and intimacy and addiction that people don't want to touch with a ten foot pole. The the sex and and relationship and intimacy experts. As soon as I say you know this is the main theme of the podcast, recovery from addiction. They're like, you know, some of them just blow us off and others have been like right outright and said, no, I'm not going there. Hmm. It's weird. That is weird. Are you putting us out there in case there's somebody that does do that and we just haven't found, we haven't turned over the right stone? Hey, well, so maybe this is a plug to like, hey, if you know somebody who does this, like, because I mean, we have limited sources and, and knowledge out there, so... There's got to be somebody that talks about this. Hey, we'll take we'll take help from our listeners for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we, and we have had a lot of guest suggestions. A lot have come from our Echoes of Recovery group, but we have had just guest suggestions come from, yeah. from people we haven't yet met. So yeah, if you know somebody who is in the sex and intimacy business who is comfortable talking about addiction and recovery, uh, we'll take them for sure. But in the meantime... It's just us, you and I. We can you. talk. It isn't like we haven't learned a lot about this, not only through our own experience, but through research and reading and and the experiences of others. Although, as we have said before, when we start working with people and getting to know them and getting to know their stories, I, I feel like we build enough trust into the relationships with the people that we're meeting that they'll tell us a lot. They'll tell us a lot about the alcoholic relationships and the trauma and the chaos. But the line tends to get drawn at the bedroom door and people just aren't comfortable. And, you know, part of that, I think, is probably human nature. It's probably the most vulnerable place you can be. Part of that is cultural. It's the way we've been raised, the way we've been taught that 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 stuff isn't for conversation well, but think about the word, the intimacy. It's between small group. Yeah. Small, you know. It's supposed to so be intimate. So it's supposed to be intimate Ooh, and small. Good point. Not so broadcast that's why it's on not, the interwebs. Yeah, blabbed all over the place. <laughs> so there is a, it is, maybe it is societal and cultural and all that you say, but it's because it's supposed to be something that's shared with just the two. Fair enough. Now, let's share it with everybody. You ready? We'll see. Today, I think we're going to talk a little less about our relationship and more about kind of what we've come across and what we've learned. Let's see. Let's start with kind of a definition of what I think we should talk about today. I want to talk about emotional intimacy and what that means. I want to separate sex almost entirely out of it. We will make references to sex, but I think it's important for people if if their intimacy is struggling in their relationship to kind of define what that means. And so let's start by defining what it means to us or based on the look on your face, to me anyway. Yeah. I was just wondering if you like kind of found any sort of definition with that, like when you came across like your research or yeah, is this just kind of, this is this is your take on what you've learned? It's a conglomeration. Conglomerate, yeah, yes. Of, okay. Of, of, of your gained knowledge from research and books and stuff and you know conversations yeah along with your own personal i mean viewpoint sherry you have to admit we have heard lots and lots of times people say intimacy doesn't necessarily 
mean sex. That right. they're, they're not one and the same. Yes, exactly. So, that, so that's where this comes from. When we talk about emotional intimacy, the words that come to mind for me are trust, attraction, desire, and being calm and relaxed. Those are some of the things that you and I have experienced personally when it comes to intimacy. You know, it it feels very intimate. It feels like there's a strong connection when you feel very relaxed. You feel comfortable. You feel safe. Safe would be a good word to add to this little list. Um, but there also has to be some desire, desire for that connection, whether it's with me or with, with whatever, or with a rock, right? There has to be some desire for that connection. There has to be some attraction for the person that you're having that connection with. I'm not going to take us down a rabbit hole of what's the hottest sexual experience you've ever had. I'm not saying it has to be that. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, because we're talking about emotional. Right, but there has to be an attraction. This is someone that I want. Not only do I feel safe with this person, but I want to feel safe with this person. I am a, I am emotionally attracted to this person. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, trust. Trust has to be is a huge part of it. You know, when we talk about emotional intimacy, it is can be thought of, I think of it as, the ultimate vulnerability. It's like being figuratively naked, right? I mean, you're bearing your soul. You're opening yourself up to this other person and and just laying it all out there. And um, it's like saying, here, I give you all of me. So whether or not you are uh, physically naked... <laughs> when you're in an intimate situation is I think maybe kind of secondary. What's important is that you are emotionally naked. You're figuratively naked. Does that all make sense so far? Um, Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. You're very deep in thought. I like, I like this look I'm I'm getting. I'm just trying to processing, processing and I'm wondering where we're going. Now you have, I'm going to be honest with our listeners. You have an air of defensiveness. Like like you just said, you're wondering where we're going to be going. You're not sure you're in for this conversation. Is that fair to say? Correct. You're cautious. Yes. Not cautiously optimistic. Yeah, not cautiously optimistic by any means. I'm also wondering like, if you're going to ask me questions and then, you know, like, you're going to try to fill in some blanks that I'm supposed to round about. And then I'm wondering, like, you know, I don't know. Well, Just I, if I'm going to forget what I, like, the question when it's asked. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to answer it in a way that makes sense to people. So you're feeling some pressure. Yeah. Some stress about this conversation, more so than you normally do. Because that's the way, that's the look I'm getting. Yeah. Understandably. It's a tough subject. It's not your favorite subject to talk about. With me or with a microphone between us. Mm-hmm. So, and, and let's start there. I think that's a really good place to start. This is hard, not only to talk about, but it's hard to experience emotional intimacy to begin with. Forget about alcoholic marriage. Forget about two decades of traumatic experiences. It's just hard to begin with. And there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. There are so many people that carry some form of childhood trauma or young adult trauma into uh, a marriage, into a, a an important, committed relationship, you know, and, and I try so hard not to go to the gender stuff and to try to make it equally balanced, but there is a gender component here. There just is. I Of the, the women that we have met who have you know, kind of gone there with us and and shared some of their experiences. So many of them, I'm not going to say most, I'm not going to say all, I'm not going to use, you know, words that I I can't prove or I I don't have, um, you know, the data behind. But so many of, I'll say that, a, a large number of them have some kind of unwanted, uh, experience from childhood or young adulthood um, like an, an unwanted sexual experience. And so this idea of ultimate vulnerability, whether it has anything to do with sex or not, whether it's just emotional, opening up and being raw and vulnerable is really, really hard. And it's 
it's it's hard for men and women for two different reasons. It's hard for women because they've mostly got a bad experience. What? How would you respond to that? Yeah. Um. I, if you're talking about can being open about and trusting about sexual experiences, yes, like those really way in the back of our mind like what is the expectation here how's it gonna end like can I say no what happens if I say no um emotionally being vulnerable in an addictive relationship it's you know um like you can't be open and vulnerable I'm talking even before you consider addiction or alcohol I mean you definitely carried into our relationship some things that had happened to you prior yeah. to meeting me that um, made being emotionally vulnerable, you know, being intimate in that way difficult. Yeah. And I mean, we, you know, we used alcohol to get to know each other. Because that's what we did in college. So I think that that just was clouded and glossed over. So I don't think that we even had the maturity and capability to be mature enough to to be that way. But yeah, I think... That's fair enough. When you, when you talk about alcohol, not in an addictive way, in an, in an addiction, but you just talk about it as a lubricant, I think is what you're saying, right? Yeah. To, hey... I'm uncomfortable in this situation. I'm meeting this person and things are going well and we're going to get closer and closer and maybe we're going to go and be vulnerable with each other and and be really raw and honest. The alcohol lubricates that far before it destroys it through addiction. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. I just, I think it's, I think it's important that we acknowledge that one of the barriers to emotional intimacy not exclusively to females, but primarily for females, is that so many have had something bad happen. I'm not saying every woman has been raped as a child. I'm not saying that. But there's always unwanted comments and advances. That's right. Expectations. Culture we grow up in. Yeah. Pats on the butt, whistles, comments. That's right. Like you know, systemic. It's funny because you and I have watched some movies from like the '80s recently. And it is, it's sad, it's disappointing, but it's also kind of, I mean, shocking when you go back and watch and see how women are treated in those movies and it was completely acceptable. Yeah. Admirable even. Like the the star of the movie, the the male star is a well-respected person. I'm not talking about that slimy movie producer guy that, that led, you know, was the, one of the catalysts for the Me Too movement. I'm talking about people that have uh, lived their whole careers with honor and respect, but back, you know, in the in these '80s movies, are making, you know, comments that would not be acceptable today, yeah. or touching women in ways that would not be acceptable today. So we've come a long way in the last 40 years, for sure. Um, but so people in our generation, for sure, have experienced something that's not okay. Yeah. And it makes intimacy hard in an adult relationship. For men, you know, we were just never taught that being emotionally intimate, that being raw and vulnerable and honest was acceptable. There's no place in our lives growing up where that's acceptable. I know I can speak specifically of my experience. I was teased a lot as a child. I mean, in in what I think my my father specifically thought was a loving way. That's probably how he was treated growing up. And that's what he did to me. He, it wasn't meant to be malicious, but you know, I was driven to get good grades. I was driven. I wasn't driven to be like a professional athlete, but if I did pick a sport and play it, I was driven to be good at it. Um, and I was teased when I did goofy things or I was teased when, uh, you know, I made a mistake and nowhere in there is, is there room for vulnerability because, and, and I'm not just talking about my father, guys treat each other that way. So if when you're constantly around guys and they're looking for the, you know, what's the next thing I can pick on somebody for, 
as a defense mechanism to keep myself from getting picked on. I'm going to pick on other people. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if there's constant picking, there's absolutely no room for any kind of honesty or vulnerability or rawness. So here we come into these relationships, pre-alcohol, pre-addiction, and we are just set up for failure when it comes to emotional intimacy. Both sides. Both sides are set up for failure. So um, now let's talk about when there is alcohol involved. Uh, you know, it, this ultimate in, this ultimate vulnerability, this emotional intimacy, it often really, really backfires on the person who engages in it or who goes first, if you will. Um, the the truth is rejected for one thing we talk a lot about the importance in recovery of um, resentment processing and resentment processing tell tell our listeners what resentment processing means to you when it was in the recovery after i was sober in our alcoholic relationship well i didn't need to hear an apology so it wasn't it wasn't a conversation that i wanted to have with you so you could apologize I wanted you to recognize and understand situations that happen and how I perceive them. I wanted you to like kind of unburden me and unsaddle me with some of those memories that Ooh, you probably like that. weren't aware of and all the depth that went behind it. Again, it, and it wasn't to blame or shame you. It was just this was my trauma and I need you to hear so then I didn't have to be the only one that remembered. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe if the kids were involved in it, it wouldn't be just me and the kids that had that memory. I wanted you to be aware of it. And I wanted you to accept that you may have thought that it didn't do harm or it was no big deal or you, you know, don't remember it properly. Again, it was no blame and shame other than blaming the alcohol. But it was just, that's what happened in my head. That's how it happened, you know. That's the story that I remember. That's the memory I carry. And eventually we got to the point where I could do that. I could listen to you, share your truth, and I could try my best to unburden you without apologizing, although I did do lots of apologizing, but that's not what you needed. I needed to hear it and acknowledge it. Eventually we got there. Yeah. But for a long time, I wasn't there. For a long time, I would reject your version of the truth and tell you you were blowing it out of proportion or that you were the one with the drinking problem because you didn't understand that alcohol is a normal thing that people consume or that your memory's just not right um you know you were just mad at me at the time so your recollection is clouded by your anger these are the kinds of things that i said to you yeah and even if it was not that too when um sometimes you would also because like, we tried to do these resentments while you were drinking. Yep. We tried to have these conversations to to like kind of just not let things fester and build up. And and they were never like I never brought to the table like huge traumatic stories and events. But even if they were something you were still in this defensive mindset, you'd be like, "Okay, well that happened this time and this is how we're going to prevent it." You wanted a solution, you wanted resolution. You, you know, you we're still forward thinking and like, okay, that happened, block it out now, and then next time it happens, like, use this code word and I'll know to not act like that or, you know, like there you had like a plan for a solution. I wonder if those code words ever work. It never worked for us and we've yeah. heard lots of stories of them not working. I wonder if they ever work. Yeah. But, I don't know. But, you know, you're, you're exactly a- right. There were lots of times in active addiction and in early sobriety when I just wasn't ready to take your resentments. I was too full of shame. I was full of regret or I was full of arrogance and cockiness if if I decided that my drinking wasn't the problem and that you were the problem and that you were the bitch and that you were the, the person who didn't understand. So it would be one of those two things. But... It definitely wasn't where I could listen to your truth and have it be the truth. And here's the problem with that. When you are presenting to me your truth and I am rejecting it in one of a dozen ways that I was good at rejecting it, that is 
me taking your ultimate vulnerability, your attempt at emotional intimacy, this connection, and just stomping on it mm -hmm. and saying, get this shit out of here. Well, so then later in our relationship, when things are better and I am able to go through the resentment processing and I am, I am able to listen, you can't help but have these bad experiences with this ultimate vulnerability, this emotional intimacy still lingering. And how can we you know, expect that to get better right away? Just because I say, okay, Sherry, tell me what happened again in that situation. And you tell me and I go, okay, yep, I believe you. I mean, that's good. That's progress. But I can't expect that to make you want to be vulnerability, vulnerable. Pardon me, vulnerable. Vulnerability is such a blessing when it's rewarded. It's a blessing to the recipient and it's a blessing to the person who goes there. But when it's stomped on, it's traumatic. And it's it causes lasting pain and you know, it becomes a communication barrier. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes during active um alcohol use for you, you if if I did ever feel like I could share with you details because you would be very convincing that you were ready to hear things or you really wanted to know why I behaved a certain way. And so I would trust you. Um, it was often mocked and thrown back up in my face later on. And, it, you know, so it was just a piece of information that you could use against me later on. That's exactly where I wanted to go next. Um, it can be rejected in the moment or it can be rejected later. It can be rejected a day or two later or the next time. I, so I'm sober. You're telling me what's going on. I'm listening. I'm trying to muscle through and have enough strength to listen to the horrible thing that I did or the alcoholic in me did. But then, you know, three days later I'm drinking and it's all I can think about and I'm going to come attack you about it. Yeah. And it didn't always have to be about you. It could have been about like my past you know, situations. Sure. You're a, you were very jealous when you drank. So mm -hmm. sometimes you would want to hear about past relationships and then, you know, you would be drinking me like, well, why don't you tell me more about this and this experience? And then, then it just made you mad and angry and yep. you couldn't hear it because you weren't mature enough and ready to hear it. And then it got thrown up in the face later. Yeah. Or you secretly were resentful and angry about it and didn't use it, but it just, there was this barrier between us. This, yeah. Yeah, so multiple ways that we crush that ultimate vulnerability, that emotional intimacy. When when you try and you open up and then we either reject it in the moment or we throw it back up in your face later. And those, I mean, I'm, ugh, those are the wounds that takes a long time to heal. I mean, because again, going there, being that level of open with somebody is really super hard even if there's no baggage but then when there's baggage like the baggage we're talking about going there again is so hard let's talk about control alcoholism is the act of trying to control the uncontrollable and this applies to both spouses i would say not only is the drinker trying to control his drinking but Early on, when as the spouse of an alcoholic, when you don't know what you're doing because, you know, this isn't the kind of thing they teach you in high school or college, you're trying to control that person's drinking as well. You're, whether it's nagging or trying to encourage them to get help or trying to limit what they're drinking, both sides of the party are trying to control this uncontrollable thing. And... Intimacy is one area where either side can control, can exert control, even in an alcoholic relationship, by limiting it. Does that make sense? You, you can't control my mood swings. You can't control whether I'm going to drink or not. You can't control how I'm going to behave around the kids. You can't control how I'm going to set these rules and then I'm going to break them anyway. You can't control when I say I'm going to be sober and I am for two weeks and then I decide to drink again. You can control none of that, no matter how hard you try. 
But you can control whether you open up to me or not. You can control whether or not you're emotionally vulnerable. Correct. Yeah. So because it's the last bastion that can be controlled, I think it becomes something that the both both parties, the loved one and the uh, the drinker, try to exert a lot of control over. And again, this isn't necessarily about sex. Um, certainly, there are relationships, there are marriages where one party or the other, and it does go both ways. That has been surprising to me. I mean, as a horny little sex lover, I never tried to limit the amount of sex we had. But I have learned that that happens sometimes as, again, my life is out of control. I can't get my drinking under control. You know, it's impacting my job. It's impacting my relationships. I've got all this stuff swirling around that I can't get a hold of. But I can control sex or I can control intimacy in my relationship. And so even the drinkers, both sides, sometimes exert control. And when I say exert control, I'm not saying that they insist on more emotional intimacy. I'm saying they just shut it down. It's a pain point. I'm not going to give you any of that. That, what did I say earlier? Figurative figurative nudity. You're not getting any of my figurative nudity. I'm not opening up, period, at all. I can lock that down. Yeah, but it makes, it makes perfect sense why the loved one who's getting treated poorly uh-huh. does that. Why give yourself to someone who's basically an asshole? You know, so total sense. So I I do find it shocking when we hear um, stories like that where the alcoholic has shut down and closed off. But I think that would be then from shame in a lot of ways and feeling undeserving of it. Whereas from my side of the street, maybe I would have done that and I felt like you didn't deserve any of that. So it was, you know, a punishment sort of. Yeah. And again, I, th- I think it's important that we emphasize <laughs> you can shut down this emotional intimacy and still be having sex. Yeah. You can be robotic. You can go through the motions. I'm an example of that. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up because I didn't want to, you know, drag that out of you. But you brought it up. Absolutely. Yeah, we you... had a lot of sex when I was drinking. Yeah, because it was, it was a, you know... A fix for you. It was like, another source of dopamine. Yeah. Yep. And then you would just, have just like the behaved like a child if you were told no. You would have thrown a tantrum. So yes, there was a lot of that. So that was definitely a good reason to like be like, you can have the body, but you can't have the mind. Well put. And it, once I got some time under my belt in sobriety, that became a huge pain point for me because you can that that continued to be how it was, and. Once I was, like I said, long-term sober and I recognized that there was no intimate connection involved, that started to really hurt. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, and, and we've talked about this before, it's like um, when you're, when you're uh, accepting, you're affirming um, the fact that we are going to have sex, but without any intimate connection, without any joy on your side that is another it's just another form of rejection mm-hmm. super painful i sound like a whiny baby right you're getting what you want you're getting your rocks off why are you mm-hmm. complaining but it's it's hurtful it is really really painful well yeah because you weren't feeling the connection yeah that's supposed to be there that's that right alcohol took away that's right so also under this category of control Intimacy is something that can be controlled by either side of the relationship by limiting it. I want to bring in the love languages, um, which, you know, there are five love languages. Uh, There's a book about it. Do you remember the author's name? Gary. Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman. Millions of copies sold. Well, well well-renowned book. We've read it many, many years ago. Spinoffs, you know, to teens Uh, and children. Yes. Um, This is another area that can be controlled. When you are in the throes of an alcoholic relationship and you're in pain because you're not getting what you deserve out of the relationship and you are 
being forced to go through this traumatic experience, the love languages can be controlled. You you have a better recollection of when we read that book than I do. And you you have a better recollection of most well, things than I well, do. Well, let's just say, like, that was one attempt to fix the relationship when you were so adamant that alcohol was not problematic. Yeah, I was still drinking, yeah. So, you know, people waste time in marriage counseling when there's still alcohol present. Well, let's... Let's cut to it. It's the alcohol. Yeah, so the no alcohol little book first. is going to help you. But it did like open my eyes to some things like, oh, if you weren't a drunk asshole, maybe I would give you this little bit of piece that's your long language because ours was different. Okay, so mine, one of mine is positive verbal affirmations. Verbal affirmation, not positive, but verbal affirmation because affirmation positive. is positive. Okay, good it's point. A, <laughs> it's, a double, it's a double positive. Double positive Better instead of a double, double negative. negative. Yeah. Yeah, so... Okay, so wait, what'd you say again? Verbal, verbal affirmation. affirmation. So verbal affirmation. And boys. you have done a, again, the topic is control. You've done a really good job of withholding that over the years. Because if you don't feel it and it's not your love language, it is hard. Okay. But then it says, you know, in the book, it's like, it might not be your love language, so you have to work on it and you have to practice. Well, yeah, but when you don't give a fuck about your partner in a lot of ways, you don't want to work on it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to fake it. I mean, for me, it's hard to fake it. I shouldn't say everybody. It's hard to fake it. Oh, yay. You didn't get drunk and pass out tonight. Like, could I have said that? That's a verbal affirmation. You didn't yell at the kids at the dinner table. Yay. Good for you. Attaboy. You didn't piss the bed. You know, not that you did. You were thankfully never did that. But we hear terrible stories about that. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, well, this is kind of helpful but it's not the solution here so it was hard to do and it's not my love language and that's very hard because I think we've talked on the podcast and in many things compliments are suspicious to me so any compliment I'm like what do you want so I don't like them I'm suspicious of them okay what so there's there's two things here there is oh, the fact that it's comes, not your love. What here comes, Doctor Matt? <laughs> I am not a doctor. No, I just think it's funny because there is a lot to unfold there. You know. Well, there's two things, and the reason I say two is because that's the most I can remember at once. Oh, <laughs> there's two things, and one is that it's not your love language, so it doesn't come natural to you. Yes, I get that, but I also have to say. That again, you can't control much. You can't control my drinking or my behavior, but you can control this one thing. You can control emotional intimacy, how much you're going to give, if you're going to be vulnerable or not. And you can control this. You can keep from giving me any verbal affirmations, positive or otherwise. <laughs> okay, I'll stop saying that. But you can... St you can Control that. That's something that you can yeah, exert control. I can control. On. And for good reason. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. Um, I don't want anybody to feel bad that, oh gosh, I'm not like giving positive affirmation to my, you know, partner who's drinking and, you know, like, because you just, if you don't feel it, yeah. it's hard to do it. Yeah. And then it's fake. And then you feel gross. Oh, I don't think you sat down and said, here's my strategy. Right. I'm yeah. not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give positive affirmations. I don't think it was like that I think it just came naturally yeah You're like I, mean, I, I don't like to do this anyway I'm suspicious of people who give compliments and by the way you're a fuckhead so you're not getting any anyway <laughs> yeah, you gotta give me some material to work with yeah. you gotta give me something to be uh, affirming about <laughs> I, I get that so and what was your are you gonna talk about your second one those were my two my one was it doesn't come naturally to you and second no. one is why would you give it to your me anyway? second love language because they oh, say that you physical have... touch i was gonna talk about that later okay i wasn't gonna talk about that right but here we'll get to it later i just want to know but so so you know you're being ignored your needs are being rejected and so that can't feel good right because you're dealing with this alcoholic who is ignoring your needs and rejecting you you want to talk about resentments and I want to either throw those back in your face or tell you that you're just wrong for having those resentments. Or feelings in general, yeah. which happen often. So, so why on earth would you give me my uh, verbal affirmation that I need? Um, I think acts of service is one of your love languages. 
Yeah. I think acts of service is one of many people that we've met love languages because yeah. they are naturally nurturers. They are, that's just a go-to to take care of people. Um, and so, you know, you are a nurturer while I focus on myself very selfishly, either as a drinker or in early recovery. We've talked about how that first year of sobriety is a very selfish period. So whether I'm drinking or I'm sober, I'm super selfish and your love language is acts of service. So you are a nurturer. Um, so you're not getting what you want out of the relationship mm-hmm. in the love languages verbiage. So that's just another reason for you not to give either positive affirmation or or physical touch or whatever whatever your spouse's love language is. If one of yours is acts of service, which I think it is for many, many, many of the spouses uh, of the alcoholics, there's no way you can be getting acts of service from an alcoholic or someone in early sobriety. Yeah. It's just too selfish a period. Yeah. So you're not getting any, so why would you give any? It's kind of my point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I said. So, there, so again, ways to exert control. There are so many ways that you can't exert control in an alcoholic relationship here are a few where you can, and I think it happens often, to the detriment of the relationship. I'm not saying you did anything wrong, Sherry. You didn't do anything wrong by not giving me any verbal affirmation. Like you said, there was no material. I didn't give you much to work with. So you didn't do anything wrong. But it's also a way for you to exert control when so much of your life feels out of control. Yeah. So much of what you want to control is uncontrollable. Um, I made some notes about sex, so I'd like to talk about those. We talked, we, we mentioned this first point. Sex can coexist while withholding emotional intimacy. They are not the same thing. Absolutely. You can go through the motions. Um, reluctant acceptance is a form of rejection. Uh, that, again, became important in our life once I was well into sobriety and started to be like, hey, you're just doing this and this is you've always just been doing this and you don't really like, like this when the at all. question would be posed and i'd be like yeah sure yeah oh okay my God. fine I hated oh, okay fine oh okay fine i love we talk that. about whether or not <laughs> we're having it. sex okay fine you and i even when i would say could you say that you want to and you'd say yeah fine like you would <laughs> you still couldn't say you wanted it's to. hard for me to be fake so saying i want to have sex with you would just almost make vomit come up in my mouth. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Sorry. I love your honesty. It makes for good podcast episodes, that's for sure. So thank you for that. But at the time, it hurt. Yeah. Reluctant acceptance is a form of rejection. But it it cuts both ways. Because sex without intimacy for you made you feel used. Yeah, Absolutely. And when we would try to discuss it, I would say, I feel like I'm just a hole. I wrote that. Look right here. <laughs> oh my gosh, you did write it down. Yeah. I feel like I'm just a hole. And then that would hurt you. But that would be how I felt. And then there would just be a whole other side argument and disappointment. And Do you understand now, though, in long-term sobriety and after hearing many stories, how that could possibly translate to my feeling of truth? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I feel like... I feel like every time we had sex under those circumstances, we were both getting hurt more. Yeah. I mean, it... You felt rejected. I wanted the sex because I wanted to feel closer to you. And by having sex with someone who's not there emotionally, it made me feel further from you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd get that little dopamine hit from the ejaculation... (laughs) Uh, You're still 12. You can't say that <laughs> word without laughing. <laughs> I get that little dopamine hit, so there was that. But, I mean, it's just, it's kind of just like drinking. We drink to soothe the pain that we're in, and the alcohol causes more pain. We have uh, emotionless sex because we're in pain and we want to soothe the pain, and it just causes more pain. Mm-hmm. For both of us. For both of us. I understand why you did it. You didn't want me to whine. You didn't want the argument. Um, but you were not going to open up. Right. In any emotional way. Only physical. That's why this topic of emotional intimacy, it's so important that we divide sex away from it. Um, 
because the emotional intimacy is where that's where the juju is that's where the good stuff is I mean that's where the connection and the healing and the love and all the stuff you need to make a relationship successful you can have sex three times a day and wreck your and have a terrible marriage it's just empty yeah not that we did three times a day I don't want to make it sound like I had a problem well I did have I had a number of problems but anyway so so yeah um but the last point I want to make on this is I, I, I think the emotional intimacy is a really important component in recovery. I think, it's, I think it eventually, if you're going to come all the way back, if you're going to fix it all the way, it's eventually going to be needed. And I think a lot of people think of it as that's just a bridge too far. We can't even talk about who's going to pick the kids up after school right now. How on earth am I ever going to get there? And, you know, I, I think, well, we'll talk about that more in a minute, but I think eventually, um, uh, uh relationship recovery requires, uh, emotional intimacy to be restored and maybe like it was for you and me be established for the first time because like you said when we were young we just drank through the uncomfortable we never really went there okay here's an important point you ready mm-hmm. hot sex is the result of vulnerability and, and emotional intimacy hot sex is vulnerability being rewarded it's not the goal you can't set out to have this physical connection that's really, really good. I mean, you can when, you, when you're not married. You can when you're not in love. You can have hot sex with some rando that you don't care about, right? Mm-hmm. But once you have made this commitment and you fall in love with each other, you can't force you know, magic and sparks to fly in the bedroom. So they shouldn't be the goal. They should be the result. And I'll equate this, as you know, Sherry, (laughs) I coach high school soccer. And I've said for years, oh my God, I wish everyone could see the look on your face as I'm trying to make this transition. Where are you going? High school soccer and sex. It should not even be in the same paragraph. You're right. So don't put it, well, definitely don't put it in the same sentence. Yeah, but you did. When, you know, winning is never a goal. It hasn't been for me for years and years. I mean, I guess at the beginning it was because I didn't know what I was doing. But it's never a goal. The goal is to bond the team together. The The goal is to create an environment where free people can be their best and enjoy, and just get love out of the game and play free. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. And if we can achieve that goal, then the wins are going to come automatically. Like, because you're bonded and cohesive and you rely on your teammates to help the whole, you know. That's right. Everybody's having win. fun. Everybody's doing their job. Everyone's getting better. You're going to win. The, you, like, you, the wins become is, unavoidable. Yeah. And the same thing applies here. If you work on the emotional intimacy, if you find a way to be vulnerable with each other, then that vulnerability will be rewarded by hot sex eventually. But the hot sex can't be the goal. It's just got to be the cherry that goes on top of the ice cream sundae because you did all the rest of the work. You figured out how to listen and not talk. You're not trying to fix the situation. You're trying to accept the situation. You, When your spouse is figuratively naked, you are nothing but loving and complimentary and um, you know, there for them, connected. You're not also watching TV or you're not also on your phone or you're not rejecting something they're saying. When somebody lays it out to you, it's a gift and you need to treat it that way. And if you are crass or short or just don't see that it's happening, um, you're just crushing this beautiful gift that's being given to you. So the smallest little negative in an emotionally vulnerable situation does so much damage. And we don't realize, we certainly don't realize it as drinkers. I mean, we throw around small little negatives all day long, like that, like it's our job. 
Like, tell me something that's uh, hard for you to talk about so I can spit on it. Like, that's mm-hmm. how we act. But when we get sober and we're in recovery and we're doing the work and we can recognize, oh my God, this person is sharing something with me that's hard for them to share and they're super worried about how I'm going to react to it. If my reaction can be neutral or loving, whoo, we're making progress. And the hot sex comes as a result of the progress. The hot sex can't be forced. Would you agree with my rant? My hot sex rant? Mm, yes. Yes. Any, anything to add? Well, I think like hot sex. I mean, that's, of course, your description. And it could be a different perception. I would just like... Hot sex to me sounds like it is with a stranger that you meet, you know. So you just don't like my words? Yeah, not that I don't like your words, but I mean, I feel like, I feel like what we're trying to aim for would be more than just hot sex. It would be an an emotional connection. It would be, I don't know, like just, I don't know know the words. I hadn't thought about it. Maybe physical intimacy? Yeah. So we're talking about emotional yeah. intimacy, but physical <clears throat> intimacy requires that emotional intimacy to come first. Yeah, physical intimacy. Because I think I think that's a better description, physical intimacy, because it is that intense connection sexually that is bonding and like what the goal is. You can, you know. But you can't get there if you don't feel safe. <laughs> right can't get there if you don't feel safe. And you can't feel safe if... You can't trust. If you can't trust, if you can't lay yeah, it out but, there without it being yeah. stepped on. Yeah. <laughs> what? Just lay it out there being stepped on. Just oh, makes you're me... such a potty mind. <laughs> you know, it just made me kind of... <laughs> like, that's what I wish I could have done sometimes. Just stepped on your... Step on it. Stepped on your unit. <laughs> Good stuff, Sherry. Okay, so... Uh, so, I'm here to say... I don't have any of this figured out yet. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) I'm not an expert, and the experts won't come on to talk to us about this. But I believe that there is a solution from intimacy. This is what I hinted at before. Let's go back to the love languages as one of the two boxes that making intimacy a solution in your recovering alcoholic relationship. Let's talk about one of the two boxes that that checks. We'll talk about both of them, but let's start with the love languages. Think about it for a second. If you are finding a way, if you're finding a way to be, to find intimacy, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if you got to really work for it, you are speaking all the love languages. You can't have intimacy without speaking all the love languages. Physical touch is part of intimacy. Acts of service. You know, if... If we're being intimate, physically intimate, um, and emotionally intimate, then I am trying to do things for you just like you're trying to do things for me, right? So acts of service. And let's just stick with emotional intimacy. Let's not even talk about physical intimacy. But if, if if you're being vulnerable and that vulnerability is being rewarded, then I am, uh, and, and, I mean, let's give some tangible examples. I know you like acts of service, but, you know, if, you know, and it's not just like old school, like I take out the trash. Um, it's being a good listener and not just constantly trying to solve your problems, but actually, you know, letting you vent and just saying, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. That's, that's hard. That's got to be hard for or you. Or just, yeah. Yeah. It's accepting your acts of service. Sometimes I'll get super stressed and you'll want to help. And sometimes the things you want to do to help are things that like, like it's just my thing. Like you don't know how to do that. You've never done it before. But I know in that moment, there's got to be something else that you can do because it's important to you to help in that way. That is a way for you to show love. And if I just reject it, that's no good. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm going to just throw in like a tangible acts of service that... Um, I think came with a lot of trial and error from us, um, in sobriety, long-term sobriety. Like I, um, run a vacation Bible school every year and I am 
not a blueprint, plan it all out. It's on paper so then I can hand off what I need done. It's a collaborative thing that goes on in my brain and I see what I have. Collaborative with yourself. With myself. It's just all the pieces coming together and I just need to point and say, do that and point and say, do that. Whereas in the past, you would try to like bump up against me and argue like, you know, and then you've gotten... Let's to talk point. about the big picture, Sherry. Yeah, and I'm like, no, I don't here? know. I, I got to see how it's going to look. I got to mm-hmm. see what my resources are, I, you know. So, like, over the last couple of years, you've just kind of been, like, my bar back. Like, I just tell you what to do, and you do it. It's not that I'm controlling and being the boss and trying to boss you around. It's just I don't know exactly where I'm going to go, and you've become comfortable enough with knowing that that's how it's going to be because I need to see what it looks like, and I may move things around. Um... But you have to be comfortable enough, we have to be comfortable enough in our relationship that sometimes you're just told what that act of service is going to be. And that's a service to me because I don't have to feel worried about hurting your feelings and, oh, I got to have it all planned out and adjusting my way of doing things. Does that make sense? Like, it's, a, it's an excellent example. I wouldn't have thought of bringing Vacation Bible School into a conversation about sex and intimacy, but uh, oh, since you went there, no, I'm kidding. But no, it's a great example. You're yeah. right. And I, I do. I actually, I, I've never thought about this, but I think the reason I so enjoy, and I do, I really, really enjoy helping you get ready for Vacation Bible School. I think the reason is because I know it's going to be great and I don't understand what's going on, but I know it's going to be great and you get so much joy out of it that I like to just do whatever you told me. When we made that fake stained glass window out of the (laughs) construction paper. Tissue paper. Tissue paper. That was pushing my boundaries for... (laughs) I do get a little excited about set design because I feel like when the kids walk in, they have to be just charged and ready to go. Well, you make the best vacation Bible school I've ever seen. I mean, it is (laughs) beautiful what you do. Yeah. And I like being a part of it. Yeah. I really but I, I, it I, I know how much you get out of it. And I appreciate that you're there just in a, in a lesser, like, I don't want to pe- make it sound silly, but in a, in a servant sort of manner. Like, you were there just to help me because you know this is my one of my big events yeah. for my job. Yeah. And so you were just there to, like, what can I do? How can I help? What next? Yeah. Whereas, like, when I first took the job and you were involved... A little, you know, that one day a week. And I'm not going to, like, make it sound like you don't do much. But you have your other job, you know. You've got your other thing. So it's usually just one day a week right at the, be, you know, before it happens. But before, I'd be like, God, i got to have it all planned out. i got to over-explain it. i got to yeah. be worried about offending him by saying, I don't know, just sit, you know, for five minutes while I figure this out. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's glorious. I love. So thank you. That's a great example of how I can perform acts of service, which is one of your love languages. Affirmation. You can't have emotional intimacy without affirmation. I mean, you are basically telling me when you are willing to open up and share something that's really worrying you, it might not have anything to do with me. But by sharing that with me, that is a form of affirmation. That is saying, you're my my go-to. You're my guy. I've got all these people that I'm friends with. I got all this family. I got this close relationship with my mom. I could talk about this with them, but I want to talk about it with you. That is affirming my standing as your go-to. And so it's huge. Um, you know, gifts, I think, are part, uh, that's one of the, the five love languages. And I think that's part of intimacy, emotional intimacy. It, it, it Basically, it comes when I, you know, we are close enough that I know what you need, what you want. And it's easy for me to do that. I mean, a great example of that in our relationship. I mean, gifts, I don't think, are either of our love language necessarily. But I, I have do been like receiving really things, but... into ice cream lately. And uh, you've been doing your best to keep us stocked as much ice cream as I eat. That's not easy. Um, I put the kibosh on it. We've got some random things that, that are ice cream related that ice need to cream be related eaten. Ice cream related that need to get eaten. But I, I don't know. I just think you know where I am and and what I want and you do a good job of trying to meet those needs. Um, And then quality time is, that's an obvious. How can you have emotional intimacy without having quality time? You can't. I mean, by definition, you're spending time being in close relationship with each other. So I just think that I look at intimacy as a solution 
in, you know, again, emotional intimacy is a solution in relationship recovery because it hits on all the love languages. So whichever one yours is, if it hasn't been touched on in your marriage for the last 25 years, if you're not getting what you need, if you can find a way to be emotionally intimate, you'll get some of your needs met. Um, And I think when you're at a healthier relationship place and if you shared it, it might be more receptive to like when you and I tried to do it. It was trying to be, you know, a bandage for something that needed stitches. Like it was not agreeable. Ooh, that's good. We were just trying to to do our best in a very unknown situation of marriage recovery without you trying to quit drinking. Yeah. So, and I think you're more willing and open to do it. Well. But you have to be in a good, you have to be in a better place. And like we say all the time, sobriety isn't a solution, but it is a prerequisite. I mean, you just can't go to any of these difficult places we're talking about when alcohol is still, still in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is... When I talk about how emotional intimacy is part of the solution, it's not just the result, but if you can work on it, if you can find a way to be vulnerable with each other that way, it's huge also because it helps build trust. And we all know how destroyed trust becomes in an alcoholic relationship. The gaslighting, the lying, the deceiving, um, the shame, all of that just crushes trust. And if you can find a way to say, hey, we're going to spend this time. I'm going to be open with you. You're going to be open with me. We're not going to take shots at each other. We're going to be good listeners. We're going to do these things that it takes to be emotionally intimate. It, it's, it has no other option other than to help build back the trust that's so destroyed. And you... Again, this is another thing. You're not going to get there. You're not going to get where you want to go. We are not going to get where we want to go with relationship recovery without trust. I mean, if 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 you don't think the trust, if you really don't believe the trust can ever be rebuilt, then you should stop kidding yourselves and and end it because that, that sounded harsh. I don't mean to sound so harsh. But I, I just can't imagine being in a relationship without trust, at least without building toward trust. Yeah. I mean, and there's... You know, most of the time there's been attempts at sobriety and the lying that has gone on that just makes the trust so hard. But there has to be some glimmer of hope, too, that will allow you to try to work towards trust. I think maybe there has to be hope that can lead to trust in the work. And that's a that's a long road. I mm-hmm. think that's a big chunk of time. And it has to be repeated consistency, like we've said. And so consistency builds the trust, you know, consistency in being respectful and engaged and working on your, each of you working on your own stuff. And um, I just think that, and that takes time. Yeah. And there has to be some time between incidences that, you know, like I feel like I have a hard time kind of going back to places where we were because it's been over five years. So, but still, oh, yeah. you can it's hard hear. To remember. Yeah, but you can still hear that I still can recall a lot of things that yeah. are hurtful, and you can hear my voice, and I get teary eyed and quivery in my voice. But that's because there's been that long a time, and I, you know, it didn't. Twenty years didn't doesn't go away in a year. Yeah. Twenty years of disruptive marriage. Related to drinking, not even just no, alcoholism. Right. But I just think when we think about this end game, this really hard stuff in relationship recovery, like trust and like intimacy, there's a bit of a chicken or the egg there. Oh, I can't have any kind of intimacy, emotional or otherwise, with my spouse until I trust them. Okay, I get that. But you can use, you can, you can work hard on being intimate. You can get over that hump. You can... Create a scenario where it's going to be safe to get over that hump and be emotionally intimate, and that can build trust. So it's a it's a little bit of a and it has to come from the both end. sides. Yeah, it has to absolutely come absolutely. from both sides. Like Couldn't we need more. to see you working. So let me ask you, how do you think this episode went? Looking for a little positive cool. affirmation. What was it? it? 
Positive. You did such a good job. I'm so proud of you. Positive (laughs) affirmation positivity. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.